Well, uh, I wonder here, you, know, you don't have to raise your hands, but I wonder who here has had the, uh, the boldness to ask someone or to tell someone that they have bad BO. Have you ever had to have that conversation? You're like, look, I've got to tell you, it's pretty awkward. I wonder here who's actually had one of those conversations. Very awkward. It's easier for some of us uh, than it is for others. Uh, and some of us would probably just rather put up with the smell than have the awkward conversation. And yet, trying to speak uncomfortable truths, perhaps such as this one, it's, it's a common part of life. Uh, in fact, one of the uh, big events of our time has been uh, the Me Too movement. Uh, and, it, you know, it, there are similarities there, isn't there? It all started uh, with the calling out of Harvey Weinstein, who, you know, uh, I read today actually has been given a second jail sentence. Um, you know, and he was a, he was a huge, uh, powerful figure and everyone felt like they couldn't speak out against him. People had been abused by him. And yet public opinion shifted, uh, and then they felt like they could. They were able to speak up. They were given a voice. They felt like they didn't have the power, uh, or the authority to speak, that their message wasn't supported by the powerful. And then it all changed with the Me Too movement, didn't it? Suddenly they had the power to speak. In fact, people demanded that they spoke for the good of those around them. And, uh, well, I think you can see a similar shift in the early church. There are similarities there. Uh, the, the Apostle Peter today, um, we read about him. There he was, timid as a mouse, uh, not so long ago, and yet here he is speaking truth to power, to the authorities. The boldest lion speaking in, in the biggest court. There he is, boldly proclaiming God's truth. Um, and the difference now, what was the change? The difference was the Holy Spirit. He'd been authorized by Jesus to speak out. Um, and so he does. And nothing would shut him up. So that's our passage. I'm, I'm keen to get into it. Let's, let's start looking at it. Uh, we're, we're, we're in the book of Acts, aren't we? We're a couple of weeks in. The Acts of Jesus, uh, Jesus, the Acts of Jesus by his, uh, witnesses through the Holy Spirit or through his witnesses by the Holy Spirit. Um, it's part two of Luke's gospel, we've said. It's really a continuation of Luke's gospel. And you remember, as I said, the, the apostle Peter in Luke's gospel, uh, we hear that he was, he was very bold when Jesus was there. Maybe he cut off the, uh, cut off the ear of uh, one of the soldiers when they came to arrest Jesus. He was very bold. And yet he quickly crumbles. We're given the account of him crumbling, denying Jesus. Uh, and yet when Jesus rose in great triumph, he appeared to his followers uh, in, cha- in chapter one of Acts. Jesus commissioned his apostles and witnesses to go out and speak the truth. In chapter 2 of Acts, we had the Holy Spirit say, I'm here with rushing wind uh, that filled, and, and uh, the Holy Spirit came upon his uh, believers. Uh, and now the power of Jesus was going to be with uh, his witnesses all the time from that point on. And then we had last week, chapter 3, uh, the healing of the lame man, a sign that the Holy Spirit indeed was upon them. Uh, in the second half of chapter 3, we had Peter's explanation of the healing. He said it's a sign. It was a sign that the power of Jesus had not died when he had died, but continued. The very power that raised Christ is the power of the resurrection. And that takes us right up to chapter 4, where we begin today, where the, the Jewish establishment, the, the academics, the Sadducees, they are now irate with Jesus' witnesses who preach this message of resurrection in Jesus. They continue to act with his power and preach his gospel. 
Um, and the, the thing that comes out in this passage today is, is the political nature of the Jewish state religion. Because the Sadducees, I mean, they were in effect the government. They have their own special police force, the temple police. And Jesus' witnesses, Peter in particular in chapter 4, have really made them mad. So have a look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Now as they were speaking to the people, the priests, the commander of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were provoked that they were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead using Jesus as an example. And so they're provoked. Verse 2 uh, gives us two reasons why they're provoked, and, and that'll kind of become the two halves of our sermon. The first provocation was that they were teaching the people. And the question is, by whose authority are you teaching? The second provocation was the question of power. This power of resurrection, by what power have you healed, is their question. And the passage deals with them in reverse order, and so will we. So firstly, by what power? Because the power of the day, the Sadducees, they're provoked. And so they use their power to arrest. Look at verse 3. It says, They seized them and put them in custody until the next day, since it was already evening. So here's some power. Boom, we're going to lock you up. We have got the power to arrest you. That's power. Verse 17 says, uh, it tells us that the purpose of this was to stop the message spreading. But we see that this persecution by the provoked, ultimately it's powerless to stop the word. Because uh, the, the way Acts, the account of Acts is constructed, the very next verse he wants to point out, verse 4 says, But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Now that's power. 5,000 people believed the message. The provoked used their power to arrest, but it's powerless to stop the word spreading. And so we get a little status update of the progress of the word in the book of Acts. Now we're up to 5,000. It started out with just a couple of hundred, and now it's grown to 5,000. The book of Acts, it's all about marking the growth and the spread of the early church. The word as it goes out and is unstoppable. Well, let's keep on with that passage. The apostles, they're seized, they're imprisoned, and the next day they're wheeled out for a trial. Verse 5. The next day, the rulers, elders, scribes, assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. And this is the same court, the same people that condemned Jesus. And they want an explanation from Peter in verse 7. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they ask the question, by what power or in what name have you done this? They want to know who's given them the power to heal. And we see, we see it in Peter's answer to them in verse 9. He says, If we're being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. It's so powerful. What what a reply. And this is the message all through Acts. It was the same uh, message that he preached last chapter. This Christ who you crucified, God raised. <laughs> By whose power? Jesus, as he says. Jesus' power had authenticated their ministry. And what is this power? It is the power to heal. It is the power to raise from the dead. 
And you may already know this about the Sadducees, but the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. It's kind of one of the key things to understanding what's going on here. They didn't believe in the resurrection. The power to heal, to resurrect, it completely discredited them, which is why this uh, healing is such a threat to them. Uh, because let's face it, if you're a religious teacher and you miss the fact that there's eternal life, I mean, you've really dropped the ball. You've, it's not like you know a spelling error. It's not like getting affect and effect mixed up in a sentence. No, no. This, if you miss eternal life, that's huge. It completely discredits them and proves they're false. And so that's what's really going on here. There's this establishment that they tried to get rid of this whole problem by killing Jesus. But just when they thought the problem was gone, his followers are here and they have the same power and they're doing the same healings and they're preaching the same resurrection. As Peter said in his speech last week, you killed the source of life. (laughs) And so this is what has them provoked uh, in verse 2 of today's chapter. They're accused of proclaiming the resurrection from the dead with Jesus as an example. Jesus as the first fruits of the new creation, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Well, moving on, we've seen that they had the power to heal, but they also have the power to proclaim. Because look at Peter go. Uh, let me take you back to Peter's darkest hour, where he boldly denied his Lord Jesus who had just been arrested. Remember remember back in Luke's Gospel, Jesus had just been arrested. He denies him three times. Let me read it out. When, when a servant saw him sitting there in the firelight and looked closely at him, she said, This man was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, You're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, This man was certainly with him. He also is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Peter is frantically denying to save his own skin. He's beaten down. He's crippled by the accusing fingers of these people, of his questioners. But just 60 days later, we see in Acts chapter 4, him speaking boldly. He's unstoppable. He will not capitulate. He's willing to be killed for the truth of his message. Um, I have here a little Lego reenactment that uh, someone did of of the court uh, where Peter was uh, held. Um, And it's not super accurate. You can see Peter there in the middle has a peg leg for some reason. I have no idea why Peter has a peg leg. (laughs) Uh, But what it does communicate is how intimidating that scene would have been. This is how they set up these trials. There are all of the, all the people listed there, um, the high priest and so on and so on. And then the, the other people, and I won't go into all the details, but a very intimidating court. And, and the same court that 60 days earlier had sentenced Jesus to death and had him killed. Imagine the fear that Peter must have felt there in that circle. Imagine the disdain in his accuser's eyes. And yet, Peter spoke boldly because he'd been given the power to proclaim. Where had this power come from? It wasn't a crash course in public speaking. It was the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of his Lord. We're told explicitly in uh, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit 
And he said to them, we're told, this is where it came from. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, it's a game changer. Maybe a bit like having Michael Jordan on your basketball team. You got him, you're going to win. You know, he's a game changer. It's Michael Jordan. He's going to be unbeatable. That's the Holy Spirit. Peter has the Holy Spirit. He goes from being a coward, uh, paralyzed with fear in the very least, now to bold proclaimer, unstoppable advocate for truth. This is the power to proclaim. And make no mistake, you have got the same spirit in you. You have the same power. The very spirit is given to every follower of Jesus. When we are called upon to speak the truth, all we have to do is say what we know to be true. We have the power. The spirit is with us in that moment. We must continue to speak, even though we know we're going to face uh, opposition. A few years ago uh, at St. Helens Bishopsgate, a, a great church, like-minded church in London, um, there's a banker and he wanted to share his hope of resurrection of Jesus with his colleagues. And so he produced a little pamphlet titled Investing for Life, Six Investment Criteria to Judge the Christian Faith. And he produced this pamphlet uh, and he went around and he hand-delivered it to each of his 300 colleagues. Well, the HR department, uh, they heard about it and their noses were put out of joint and they said on no uncertain terms that he shouldn't have. And so he, uh, he accepted the, you know, the, the authority of the office and he went to recall each of the pamphlets. And so one by one he went to each of his 300 colleagues and he explained that the, the HR department had banned the pamphlet and he asked if he could have it back. And you can just imagine his colleagues, they're like, what? And they're suddenly fishing out of the bin, suddenly very curious to read it. He said it was the best thing that could have happened. He got to have 300 gospel conversations with each of his colleagues. We are called to keep proclaiming the truth, aren't we? Well, let's continue into the second half of our passage. Uh, it addresses the question, by whose authority? There's a lot um, we can't cover in our passage today. There's so much goodness in there. But we're going to keep moving uh, to the response of those in authority in verse 13. It says, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John, they realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. These fishermen were uneducated. Uh, They were without schooling, uh, the, the term means. And yet they were, as Jesus had, carving it up there with all the theologians. I mean, they had all the answers. They were offering these theological proofs that were undeniable. How could this be possible? Well, Luke tells us back in his gospel, in chapter 12, Jesus uh, is recorded of saying this to his disciples. He says, Whoever, whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. This is wonderful. It's the dream of every student, isn't it? Uh, imagine in an exam, there you are. You know you don't have the answers. You're kind of terrified. But suddenly, at that very hour, you're taught what must be said. You can just imagine afterwards. It just came to me. <laughs> Jesus is reminding his followers. Uh, they are not alone. They will not be left stranded. And the Spirit, uh, as we read in Acts 4, it didn't leave them alone. In that moment, he gave them the words. He did not let them down. The Spirit provides them with a watertight defense uh, such that the leaders, they only have one option, deny, defer to denial. That's all they can do is deny 
what is undeniable. Verse 14 says, Since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. I mean, the healing, it just spoke for itself. Well, what do you do with that? The guy was there. No one could uh, deny the power that was on display. No one could argue with the power, and no one could argue with the theological explanation that Jesus had the source of life. He had the power over life of death. And so they had this problem, and they discussed their options in verse 15. It says, After this, they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin. They conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign, evident to all who live in Jerusalem, has been done through them, and we cannot deny it. It's undeniable. And so the obvious thing to do is believe. Repent and believe the message, of course. Recognize the source of power. But of course, they didn't. They didn't want to give up their own power. They would not submit to the lordship of Jesus, the cornerstone, the stone that was rejected, the name by uh, whom all, the name by which all must be saved. Instead, they looked to censor, to silence the witnesses, to stop the spread of the gospel. So verse 17, they say, so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name. And this is what's happened all through history, isn't it? Those with authority try and hinder the truth about Jesus. Verse 18 continues, so they called for them and ordered them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They order an end to the preaching in Jesus' name. And this is always the way, all through history, the, the Psalm 2 that we read at the start uh, talked about this, the nations conspiring against Jesus' anointed one. Jesus' truth threatens those in authority. And so they are forever ordering that his name be silenced. But those who are truly authorized, uh, rather than denying, they act with boldness. They act with all boldness. Uh, Verse 19, Peter and John answer them, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so what is right, to speak or not to speak? Who has got the authority? This raises uh, the question that we'll now consider that of civil disobedience. Because the Jewish leaders, they'd been given the authority, hadn't they? They'd been given the authority to govern uh, people's religious affairs, and yet here they are misusing it, abusing it. And in doing so, they become uh, illegitimate authorities. They're, they're effectively unauthorized by God. The ultimate authority is God. All authority comes from him as maker of heaven and earth. Uh, this is the prayer that we get in verse 24, a little later, uh, a little later on. It says, they raised their voices to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You see, God made everything. All authority is from him. We have God on our side. We've been authorized to speak by the maker of all. All earthly authority is given by God. Let's have Romans. Romans 13 makes this argument. It says, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, And those that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. So Romans 13 is saying all authority is being given by God. And so when we obey the authorities, we're obeying God. 
And so we obey the authorities, but not obeying them is disobeying God, except when it's not, except when they command you to disobey God. So Peter says to these authorities when he's on trial in uh, Acts 4.19, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. In other words, we're going to respectfully have to disobey you because we must do what God has asked. When the authorities uh, ask, when any authority asks us to go against God's commands, they in effect lose their authority. They're no longer to be obeyed in God's eyes because we must first do what is right in God's sight. There are many ways, of course, that we could abuse this. Uh, you know, for example, it doesn't mean we can break the speed limit on the way to church. Uh, you know, but officer, I was on the way to church. It's not going to work. Uh, it doesn't mean we can braze, uh, break a noise curfew to sing a praise rock concert. Uh, you know, or, I mean, more seriously, as a pastor, I can't manipulate people breaking laws to grow the church, to try and grow the church, thinking that God will approve. It doesn't work like that. Our highest guiding principle has to be faithfulness uh, to God. But um, to choose a very serious example of where uh, this all might apply, uh, of going against the authorities, the recent um, conversion therapy legislation is currently being debated. Uh, and for all the good that this legislation might do, it's, it's possible that it could ban people uh, from praying with people uh, people that come to you with unwanted sexual attractions. Uh, and in a nutshell, we will always look to help people to live God's way through prayer by showing them what the Bible says. We have to do this, don't we? This is what God has commanded. We will always pray with people that they might repent of sin, even if such prayers have been banned by our governing authorities. Our commission is to share with people God's truth that they might repent and be saved, that they might be spared from judgment. And we do that knowing that God is behind us. We do what is right in his sight, just as the church in Acts did, as we are reading. We speak with boldness and trust God, who has power over all things. We can't stop speaking God's truth, can we? As Peter says in verse 20, And I I love this. He says, For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And I love this verse. We're unable to stop speaking. It reminds me of Mr. Chatterbox. Uh, I don't know if you, when the last time you read the Mr. Chatterbox book was. Uh, I've got little kids, so maybe it was more recently for me. But Mr. Chatterbox, he just, he just loves talking. And, uh, I think the next slide, you know, you can see there, he's got his friend the worm, and he's, he's talking to the worm, and, and he's been there all day, and the sun's going down, and, uh, the sound, I don't know if you can see, maybe the next slide, you can see that the worm's got a big frown on his face. Uh, and, you know, he just gives up and goes away, and then Mr. Chatterbox, he's still chatting there the next morning. Um, we're like Mr. Chatterbox. <laughs> we cannot stop, we are unable to stop speaking, uh, Peter says. The witnesses of the early church, they couldn't stop evangelizing, talking about salvation in the name of Jesus. Um, and, and perhaps that's what a spirit-filled Christian should look like, like Mr. Chatterbox. Um, surely that's what we aspire to be, uh, unable to stop speaking. Uh, people sometimes say, you know, they say, uh, there's no command in Scripture to evangelize. I don't know if you've heard that. Uh, 
But, but look at the, look at the account here of Peter, these early witnesses. What we have is much richer than a command. We have an example, a model, uh, of, a model of the Christian heart there in Peter. If the New Testament contained a series of uh, commands to evangelize, we'd end up having kind of what we see with the JWs. Uh, the JWs, they're told they have to evangelize. Um, it's essentially a condition of salvation because it's, it's works-based for them. So that they have these commands to evangelize. Uh, and so you see them kind of door-knocking and standing at train stations with little um, pamphlet stands and uh, you know, it, sometimes it feels like it's more about them ticking their box than it is really about uh, the other people. Um, perhaps I'm not being generous, but I, I, I do wish they heard the truth about Jesus and could be set free. The New Testament doesn't give us a command. It gives us a, a how could you not is, is more what we have. It's an example of the early witnesses of their cry, we cannot stop speaking, they say. Well, there's so much to say about this chapter. Uh, let me let me close by looking at their prayer. Uh, it's a prayer for us all in uh, in verse 29 there. Verse 29 says, Lord, consider their threats, they pray. Consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they pray and they ask that the Spirit would continue to give them the power to speak with all boldness. Uh, and this needs to be our prayer. Spirit, give me the power to speak with, with complete boldness. Give us the full measure of boldness. And will the Spirit do it? Well, verse 31 continues, uh, When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. And so the Spirit answers by shaking the house as if to say, yes, I will. <laughs> I will continue to give you boldness. And the Spirit did, and the Spirit still does. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, give us complete boldness. May we speak up in our homes, in our workplaces, with friends and families. May we tell of the hope that we have of resurrection power in Jesus Christ. May we stand against the, the powerful authorities who look to silence us, denying your truth. May we be so captivated by the example of the early church. May we be so confident in your Spirit's power given to us that we speak with complete boldness. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.